Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. We are back into Ephesians. We've jumped around quite a bit. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to pull out your Bibles, your phones, whatever you use for that, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start off looking at verse 13 through 15. So I'll just hit there and then we'll hit the ground running. It says, until we all attain the unity to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So here's the word as we wrap up 2017. Grow up. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, just like, I'm glad I got out in the cold for that word right there. How many guys would, would just maybe entertain the idea that maybe there are some things in our life that we need to, some areas that we need to still grow up in, right? I mean, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, there's always areas that we need to grow up in. I talked a few weeks ago about the chairs. Some of you guys will remember the chairs and we talked about the different stages of maturity. How many of you guys have ever played this game with your kids, this would you rather game? How many of you guys ever played this? Like, would you rather eat a banana or an apple? You know, how many of you guys, let me just see a show of hands. Wow, I'm speaking to the wrong crowd. First crowd got it, okay? All right, some of you guys, would you rather? It's like a fun game that we play with our kids. We do it with our daughter just to kind of pass the time at different, you know, if you're sitting in line somewhere, would you rather? And we go through the motions. Well, uh, I grabbed some of these would you rather questions off the internet just for fun so we could play a little game here this morning. I want some audience participation by show of hands. So we're going to pit two things against the other. Would you rather from the internet, which is dangerous. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. Would you rather wear wet socks for the rest of your life or wash your hair only once a year? Let me see all the wet socks people. All, only once a year, wash your hair. All right. Look at that. Yeah. It's, it's an easy choice for me. It's an easy choice. It's really, it's not that hard. I know, I understand some of you guys. All right, would you rather be only able to whisper everything or only able to shout everything? Whisper people, let's see all the whisper people. Shout people, let's see all the shout. We already knew who you were, that's the thing. We already knew who you were. Would you rather, let's keep going. It gets, it gets better slash worse depending on your flavor. All right, would you rather run your tongue down a New York sidewalk or press your tongue into a stranger's nostril. <laughs> New York sidewalk people, let's see you. Stranger's nostril people. Yeah, I was surprised at that in the first service too. So many people would stick their tongue in a stranger's nostril. Let's see all the stranger's nostril people one more time. I just wanna see who you are. Okay, a lot of things being confirmed in my mind now as I'm just taking this all in. It's crazy. Okay. Would you rather be able to see behind every door or be able to guess the combination to every safe on the first try? See behind every door, people? Combination of every safe. Look, are you guys thieves? What is this? The first service, the same thing. Like, what are you going to do with that information? Okay. Here we go. Would you rather be able to see five minutes into the future or a hundred years into the future? Five minute people? 
100 years into the future. Yeah, I think I'd go 100 years and I'd start stealing ideas and make a fortune. That's what I would do with that. All right, last one, last one. Would you rather have hiccups for the rest of your life or feel like you have to sneeze but can't for the rest of your life? Hiccup people, let's see the hiccup people. Sneeze but can't people. Wow, this is amazing. Some of you guys raised your hand for both. What's, what's up with that? Would you rather? Okay, so what I want to do is I just want to highlight that maybe there's some areas in our life that we could grow up by playing a little would you rather game between us and the early church. You see, the early church, they didn't have very long. They they were, you know, we could assume they were immature in a lot of areas, but if we pit them against us today, I want to show you just briefly that there could be some areas for us to even grow up into some areas even versus the very early church. So let me ask you just some very simple would you rather questions. Would you rather go to be together as as a church once a week or every single day? Because the early church got together all the time. That's what they did. There was never a day that they weren't together. And yet many people have trouble just trying to get to church once a week to gather to be with the believers. Let me play another game because that one went over really well. So let me just hit an even more controversial topic. All right. Would you rather give 10% of your income or everything that you have? Because the early church gave everything, right? And yet some of us really struggle just with this idea of tithing or giving anything. You know, we, we struggle with that. All right. Let me just get even, even more, you know, just the way that I like to roll here. Okay. Would you rather be persecuted by someone saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas or get tortured, crucified upside down and boiled in acid as a martyr? Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm saying some pretty stark difference. I, I know you said, well, Sean, that's unfair because of this. No, I'm just simply bringing up the idea that maybe there are some areas that we still need to grow up in, in, in this nice, comfortable American church life that we live. How many of you guys would just own that just a little bit? That there's some areas that I've just pulled out a few. We could pull out totally different topics or totally different areas, but there's some areas that we still need to grow up in. It, you know, they may not have been more mature maybe than some of you here, but I can tell you that it seems like they were more obedient than most of us because whatever happened, they would just seemingly do. And so what I want to give you is some keys for how we can grow up based on the scriptures we find here in Ephesians chapter four, some keys. I'm going to give you four keys on how we can grow up uh, and, you know, realize that we never fully grow up. There's always going to be areas, but these are some things we have to understand if we are going to step up and grow up. And here's key number one. We have to understand that we have been set apart from something. We have been set apart from something. What is it? It's found in Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. It says, but grace, man, how many of you guys are thankful for grace, the grace of God? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, that he, ha- he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, there's several things going on in this scripture. I want to just highlight and hang out on that gift of grace. It says, in saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. 
You have been, I have been set apart from something. I've been set apart from sin. I've been set apart from death. I've been set apart from hell. How many of you guys are thankful for these things because of the gift of God's grace towards us? I've been set apart from my past. How many of you guys are thankful you, whenever you look back at this last year, you can see some areas that it's like, man, I really don't like that that happened this year. I really don't like that I said that. I really don't like that it went that way. Do you realize that even now you can be set apart from your past? That, you, know, you know what? In Christ, we are no longer victims of our past. In Christ, we, are, we no longer have the right to visit our past. Why? Because he paid the price with his blood. We no longer are victims of our past because we've been set apart from something. And so what I want to do is watch this example, this modern day example, followed by a scriptural example to highlight how we have been set apart from our past. My friends tell me I'm torturing myself. It never gets easier. I thought I'd be used to it by now. That my heart would be calloused, hardened, immune to this torture. But it's not. It still hurts. time you left, I thought it was a one-time thing. Go after you, get you back, all is forgiven, all is forgotten. But each time it gets worse. It feels like death. My friends tell me I'm torturing myself that it's not worth it, that you're not worth it, that I'm chasing a dream of what once was. How long can I love without it being returned? vowed till death do us part. But what if your love for me was dead a long time ago? Even still, I still choose you. True love can't be explained. It defies sanity. It defies logic. record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. I will love you without a record. I will forgive. I will pursue. I will bring you home.
You cannot quench my love. You cannot outrun my love. You cannot escape my love. I don't have a choice, but I still choose you. You know, in the Bible, there's this guy named Hosea, and Hosea is one of those guys who was called to live out by God, to live out a picture of what God was going through with his own people. And so Hosea had a wife, and his wife kept running off on him. I mean, time and time again, she would run away with other people, and he would go, and he would go, and he would come and say, come back, come back, come back. And she would run off again and he would say, come back, come back. And it was a painful experience. We see it all start to come to a head in Hosea chapter three and verse one, it says, and the Lord said to me, go again, again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and raisins. Now, I don't know what's wrong with cake and raisins, but there was something wrong with her running off again and again. And this paints a picture of what we have done with God from time to time. And many times, it's a lot of the time that we've done this with God. And so in those days, she found herself alone, possessing nothing, in debt, and actually being sold as a slave on the auction block, getting ready to be sold. And God tells Hosea, go buy your wife. And so Hosea comes up on this scene and there are all the slaves that are being put on auction, being put up for sale. And Hosea's wife is one of them. And in those days they would strip you naked so that you could be on display so the buyers could see whether you were strong or weak, emaciated or fat. And Hosea's wife stood right there along with all the others. And Hosea goes up there and in the midst of all the pain and all the agony, he goes and he pays the full price for a slave. He outbid everyone else. He didn't have the 30 shekels of silver to be able to pay her the full, to pay them the full price for her. And so he pays 15 in silver and 30 or the rest of the 30 in grain. And in this way, he bought back his wife. And this was a picture of what God has done for us, how he redeemed us. You know, redemption is simply a ransom that's been paid. God didn't pay in money. He didn't pay in silver. He paid with his own blood. Why was that so valuable? It's because it was the very blood of God. You see, if being set apart from means that we no longer have to be a victim of our past. There is no record of wrong. We have no ownership of our past. And if we're to grow up, we have to realize that we've been fully set apart from our past. How many of you guys are thankful for that? that God keeps no record of wrong with you. And that whenever you've been set apart, you've been set apart from your past. You've been set apart from sin. You've been set apart from the record. That's just step one though. You're not gonna, you're not gonna ever fully grow up in God if you're constantly keeping your past with you. You're not gonna ever grow up if you're constantly packing that wherever you go. So we have been set apart from all of these things, and we need to just receive that. And some of you just need to receive that gift of grace right now. But that's not the end. That's just key number one. Key number two is this. We're not just set apart from something. We are set apart for something. 
See, a lot of people just stop with set apart from, but you haven't been just set apart from, you've been set apart for. Ephesians chapter four, verse 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? All right. You guys are, all right. So we've got just... Yes. Okay. That's about the percentage. Okay. Just hang on to that idea right there. Uh, full-time ministry. If, if you didn't raise your hand, if you're a believer, I want you to know, yes, you are. You are. I, I know I wasn't trying to set you up. That wasn't trying to be a trick question, but see, most of us, we don't think of ourselves as being in full-time ministry because of whatever reason we think that, that, that you know, I'm not getting paid to do this or I have a, a job or I'm at home, whatever. And we, we miss the point of what God wants to do in our life. You see, if we are ever going to understand the way God wants to work in our life, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our life, the gifts that he's equipped us with, we, we have to first understand the gifts of Jesus. You say, what are the gifts of Jesus? The gifts of Jesus are actually found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. If we rewind the tape just a little bit here, it says, and he, that's Jesus, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do the ministry. I think I just misquoted scripture. And yet that's the most common way that we think about what the apostles and the evangelists, the pastors, those, those that we consider in full-time ministry, they are to do, Jesus gave them to do the ministry. But that's not what the verse, the next verse says. The next verse is a very important verse because it clarifies why Jesus gave these people and these gifts. And it says, to equip the saints. Now, how many saints do we have in the building? By the way, if you're a believer, you are a saint, okay? You don't have to have a statue for it. You just are one if you're a believer. All right, He's, to equip the saints for what? For the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, the gifts of Jesus are given to equip people for the work, not to do the work. That went over really well. I, I, I think I just gave you an assignment, but that's what the Bible talks about. You know, the Bible never says that you are not in full-time ministry, that you have to be paid to be in the full-time ministry, or that you have to have a stage to be in the full-time ministry. The Bible says, if you are a believer, you are full-time in the ministry. How many of you guys can just receive that by faith right now? Even if you don't believe it, you can go check the Bible later on and see if I, I twist the scripture or anyway. No, that's what the Bible teaches about us. And that ought to get somebody excited in this place today. That ought to let some hope and some vision and some faith rise up in you. That ought to let, you say, well, I'm not properly trained. Well, look at the Bible. Most anybody in there was not properly trained or didn't have the right schooling or the right credentials or the right whatever. They just simply said, Lord, here am I, send me. And if we would be that kind of people, I guarantee you, God's going to start to do some sending. Now, we had, you raise your hands if you felt like you were in full-time ministry a little bit earlier and about the right percentage for what is the common thinking in America happened. About 5%, less than 5% of people, of believers believe that they're in full-time ministry. And the reason is, is because we've labeled full-time ministry, I believe, in a way that hurts the body. We, we, we've labeled it. And so if that's the case, then that means 95% of the body is not functioning at their full potential. You see, if you don't see yourself as being in the full-time ministry, you're going to come up with all these reasons why you can't do what God is asking you to do. Listen, uh, have you guys ever used something that was maybe you used it beyond its usefulness? Anybody? 
I had a tire on my Denali the couple weeks, a couple months ago, that it had not one nail, but I had two nails in it, and it just kept going low. Well, I'm the type of guy that's like, I'm going to see how long I can use this tire. And so every three days, I would have to go over to the high V and get, you know, they've got free air over there, which is a novel concept, free air. Okay, so they, I went over there, got free air every three days for a couple months. I nursed this tire along. I mean, this thing, but but how you guys know, just because it was working, it doesn't mean it was functioning properly. It wasn't functioning to its potential. Think about how much time, I'm thinking about that now. How much time did I waste every three days to stop and air up that tire over at Hy-Vee sitting behind somebody because I wanted to try to nurse something along that had, it just was not working properly. It's a good picture of the way the body of the Christ is sometimes. We're not functioning at 100%. I also had a, a mower one time. Have you guys ever had one of those push mowers that you hit something with it and all of a sudden it starts jerking a lot, you know? I had one of those and it was, I mean, the blade was unbalanced. It would just like jerk like crazy. And then the flap that's to protect you from stuff flying debris came off. And yet I still kept using, well, I, I said to my oldest, to my oldest, to my son, I said, Sean, go out and mow the yard, you know? Um, blessings of Jesus, hedge of protection, all that stuff. I prayed over him, but it was working at about 10%. Okay. It wasn't functioning right. Imagine with me for just a moment, what it would look like if the body of Christ was functioning, not at 5%, but a hundred percent. You see, you have not just been set apart from something. As good as being set apart from sin, as good as the grace of God is, you have been set apart for something. You may not have discovered it yet. You may be in it now and not realize it, but I want you to know you have been set apart for something. We are all missionaries to wherever God has placed us. Yes, there are callings that get sent out, but wherever God has placed you, that's where God has put you to be in full-time ministry. The question for you is, are you set apart? And I want to illustrate this real quick with another video. Are we set apart? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to demonstrate the difference between being set apart from and set apart for in a very simple way. So we're going into 2018. We're thinking about new diets. We're thinking about getting our budget back on track. We're thinking about all those things. And so if these dollars represent different categories of our budget, for example, uh, let's say, you know, most of these I have to spend. I've got housing. I've got, you know, my my uh, my gas money and you know, utilities. Utilities, all those things are set, but there are some categories in my life that that uh, like like I used to have cable TV, and so that was many years ago. But I decided that my budget was too bloated and too you know going everywhere, and so I freed up money and I canceled cable and I freed up some money from my budget. Now, now that that money has been set free or it's been set a, set apart from paying the cable bill, now what I do with it matters. And what most of us end up doing uh, a lot of times, and we wonder where our money went instead of telling it where to go, is we put it in this, this lovely category called miscellaneous. How many of you guys love this category? Miscellaneous category. So we put it over in the miscellaneous category, which means we can spend it on whatever we want. And there's no designated place for that to be spent. And so we, what happens? We end up wondering where that category went, where that money went. And we, we set it free from but we didn't set it apart for anything else. And this is what we do with our lives a lot of times. We've been set free from sin. 
We've been set free from wrong, wrong things. But since we haven't been set apart for the right things, what happens is we end up spending our lives on just miscellaneous things, on random things. And then at the end of our life, we'll wonder what happened and where it went. And so the question is, is our budget set apart for the master's use? Or is it just set free from wrong spending? Are our thoughts set apart, just set apart from wrong thinking? Or are they set apart for right thinking? You see, you may have set free thoughts, but not set apart for type of thoughts. What about your agenda? Is your agenda just set free from wrong things, like you don't do the wrong things anymore? Or is your agenda, your calendar, is it set free, set apart for the right things? You see, a lot of us have just simply had a transfer of activities instead of a transference of ownership. You see, you haven't just been set apart or set apart from something. You've been set apart for something. You haven't been just set apart from Satan's work. You've been set apart for God's work. Amen. I like that preacher. He's a good guy. He's um, <laughs> a good guy. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13 says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness that's set apart from, but that's not how the verse ends. And he transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, because that's about the set apart for. We haven't just been set apart from. See, set apart from sets us free from our past. Here's key number three. Set apart from sets us free from being a victim of your past. But here's the interesting thing. Set apart for sets you free from being a victim of your future. Now, I may need to explain that just a little bit, but I want you to catch this. Set apart from sets you free. I no longer have to visit the past. I no longer own the past that has been washed by the blood of Jesus. Set apart for sets me free from being a victim of my future. What does that mean? Far too many believers will, will, will live well short of God's purpose for your life, of God's potential for your life, of God's purposes for your life. Far too many believers will live well short of that life because of a what will be, will be mindset. Far too many of us will live far short of God's ability for our life, of God's plan because of a what will be, will be mindset. And we wrap it in spiritual talk and we say, well, God has a plan and God's plan, whatever God's plans are, and we just begin to talk spiritually all the time. How many of you guys have ever prayed a spiritual prayer like this? Well, Lord, I want this job, and Lord, I guess if, if I get this job, then I, I just know that was your will. But if I don't get this job, then I know that must have been your will. Have you guys ever heard a prayer like that before? Anybody? You, you know what? That's not prayer. That's fatalism. That's just what will be, will be. Why even pray? That kind of prayer. Lord, if I get this job, it's your will. If I don't get this job, it's your will. That's fatalism. That's not cooperating and, and partnering with God. And we wrap it in spiritual talk. So let me give you two different perspectives for a future victim mentality. Are you ready for this? I know this is strange talk. This is just how it came to me this week, all right? Future victim mentality is this. Things are out of my control. So what will be is what will be. My life is just chaos. It's just, I'm just at the mercy of the chaos. So what will be is what will be. And you know what? When we take that mindset, we become a victim to our future. The other way is this. Things are all predetermined. So what will be is what will be. That's the fatalistic talk I just talked about. Both of those mindsets keep us as a victim of our future. 
It keeps us in this fatalistic idea that what will be is what will be. And I can tell you that's not God's plan for our life. You are not a victim to your future any more than you're a victim to your past. You have been set free. See, when when we're just set apart from something, we're so thankful for the present because we're so glad it's not like it used to be. But whenever you are set apart for something, you start to become thankful for your future. See, when you're set free from, you are thankful for your present and you stop there because everything that happens next will be a what will be is what will be. But set apart for, here's the thing. Most of us think of the future as this timeline that's already predetermined that we're just going to roll into. That's not what what scripture teaches us here. The the Bible talks about uh, that we can create a brand new path by faith, that we can interrupt the timeline, that God, that what will be is what will be is not the mindset that the children of God ought to have. See, God has called us to create the future, not just tumble into it. See, as we're thinking about 2018, do you realize you're not just a victim of whatever's going to happen? God is calling you to participate with him to create the future. How do you do that? Well, you do that. You can create a new path and interrupt the current timeline. This happens when you start to get a, a vision of what God has created you to, for, what God has created you to create. Do you realize that God wants you to create some things in 2018? God wants you to create some things in 2018. What does that look like? You see, set apart from is, it, is the finished work of Christ. How many of you guys are thankful for the finished work of Christ that we've been set apart from? Set apart for is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do through you in 2018. See, let me just give you a, a thought. You already have your plans today, right? Many of you guys have your plans. You know what you're going to do. You know what you're going to do this afternoon. You already have where you're going this evening. You could interrupt that right now. On your way home, you could take a different turn. You could do a different thing. You could choose a different way and create a brand new future for this day. God wants you to do that in your life. You are not a victim of what will be is what will be. The Holy Spirit wants to work with you to create a kingdom future in your life. And this ought to give you some brand new hope. To do that, I want to illustrate, you know, why we don't create the future. Maybe it's because of this next thing. This is a tree. If you didn't know, this is a tree. This is a tree in my backyard. It's a relatively small tree when compared to the sequoias and the redwood trees. There's, these are amazing trees. I don't know if you've been out there or not. I haven't been out there. Someday I hope to get out there and see these things, but these things are amazing. The redwood trees, for example, they can grow to 300 and something, almost 400 feet tall, 22 feet wide. That's like a 36 story skyscraper tall. The root system goes down about 13 feet grows out to about 80 foot radius. They can live up to 2,000 years. It's resistant to disease and insect damage and fire. But the amazing thing about this is that it once was a seed. That's the amazing thing. And even more amazing than that is that seed was no bigger than the seed that I planted in my garden this spring to grow my tomatoes and my tomato plants. You see, one of the reasons why we don't create the future, I believe, is because we've lost the idea or the power or the faith in the power 
of a seed. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says this. He says, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. A lot of times we don't create because we have lost faith in the power of a small seed. You know, there's something interesting I saw on social media, which by the way, you can find interesting things. I know there's a lot of other things you can find on there. But one of the crazy thoughts that I saw on social media a few weeks ago was this. And it said this, it says, when people talk about traveling to the past, you guys know those time, you know, time travel movies and stuff. When people talk about traveling to the past, they worry about radically changing the present by doing something small. You've probably seen a movie like that where somebody goes back in time and don't change anything because if you change one small thing, it will have a ripple effect. And it says, but barely anyone in the present really thinks that they can radically change the future by doing something small today. That's, that's an amazing thought. It's a powerful thought. You know, uh, in the beginning, God created and God did not he created and he created and he created for six days and he rested on the seventh. But here's the interesting thing. God did not intend to stop creating. God wants to still create through you and me. God wants to create the future, a kingdom future through us. Amen. He does. You say, well, pastor, I, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I've tried and tried and tried. Yeah, I've planted seeds and I've done different things. Well, maybe going into this new season, God is having you, wanting you to plant new seeds. Maybe you're going into this new season, he wants you to plant different kinds of seeds. You know, one of the things that keeps us from creating the future and to partnering with God in that, I believe, is a four-letter word that we're all familiar with, and that is the word called fear. See, a lot of times we don't want to create the ripple effect in the future because we don't want to find out where it leads. We don't want to start and take a new step of faith because we're a little bit scared of what will be expected of us if we take that step. We don't want to create the ripple effect by the small seed now because we're afraid of what will be when we do that. That, for, that four-letter word fear, here's key number four. What you fear reveals how grown up you are. What you fear reveals how grown up you are. You realize that kids fear different things than adults, right? I mean, when I was a kid, I used to think that there was like a creep under my bed. Have you guys had a fear of something like that? Something in your closet or something? I'm the only one. There's three people. Okay. All right. I used to think, I literally thought that there was somebody under my bed. And so what, late one night, everybody was asleep. It was dark and I had to get up and get a drink of water. I was so parched. I was so thirsty. And so I thought, how do I do this? There's a dude under my bed. How do I do this? You know? And as soon as I get up, you know, he's going to grab my feet and suck me under into the underworld. And I don't know what's going to happen. And so I backed up as far as I could on my bed and I took a running start and I jumped as far as I could. Luckily, I stuck the landing somehow, didn't break an ankle, went and got, got my drink. And then I, I had to run back and do the same thing, jumping into my bed from across the room, didn't destroy the wall by the grace of God and made it back. Now today, I don't have a fear that somebody's under my bed. Okay. I don't, if I did, I'd just shoot them or something. I don't know. I just, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, now it, don't take that the wrong, well, there's no other way to take that, but 
<laughs> my fears have changed. And I hope that some of your fears have changed. You know, when I was a kid, I remember sitting one time at the dining room table. It was dark. Right behind me, we had this big picture window glass, you know, picture glass window. And, and my dad had snuck out outside and he went out and it's in the dark. And all of a sudden just caught me totally off guard, slams his face up against the window. Now, if you've seen my dad, it's like, talk about, it's like creepy Santa Claus. It's like he has a big old beard and he just slammed. And I just, I don't know how I physiologically did this, but I shot straight up out of my chair, like a rocket, just straight up, landed on the floor, which is really good for your self-esteem in front of other people, by the way. But now I don't fear somebody just coming up to my window. Why? Because my fears have changed. See, what you fear reveals how grown up you are. Let's put this into other areas of our life. You know, there ought to be some fears in following Jesus that you don't have anymore. Is anybody following me? There ought to be some things that you used to be scared of that you aren't anymore, and that proves that you are growing up. See, what you fear reveals how grown up you are, and if you are going to create the future that God has for you, for your family, for your ministry, for others around you this year, you're going to have to address some fears and kick some fears in the teeth. You're just going to have to do it. We're just going to have to do it. Now, Erwin McManus said this quote, and it's been just rolling on the inside of me for, for weeks now. And here's what he said. He said, what you fear establishes the boundary of your freedom. What you fear establishes the boundary of, the free, of your freedom. If you're afraid of heights, you stay low. If you're afraid of people, you stay alone. If you're afraid of the outdoors, you stay inside. Is anybody following this? What you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. How many of you guys want to walk in total freedom? You see, it's not that we don't have fears. It's simply that we let the fear of God rise above all other fears in our life. The fear of God, that healthy fear, that healthy love, that healthy reverence of God that then extinguishes those fears. So they seem so quiet in comparison to going all out with God. When you create the future, it's not that you have an absence of fear. It's simply that the fear of God is so loud in your life. How many of you guys want to live that way in 2018? Yeah, we may all have some regrets and some things that, that we're glad that we're set free from. But I want you to know that this year, going into this year, you are set apart for some things. But I've got a question as we wrap this up. How can the Holy Spirit help us in our weakness if we're always managing situations down to our own strength? How can, we, how can we walk by faith if we're only putting ourselves in situations of sight? You see, God wants to do some amazing things this next year. God wants to do some things that you haven't thought of. But in order to do that, we've got to kick some fear in the teeth. We've got to realize we've not just been set apart from, but we've been set apart for. We've got to realize that just like I've been set free from being a victim of my past, I'm not a victim of a what will be is what will be for my future. That I can partner with God by faith and create a kingdom future for my family, for my life, for my business. How many of you guys, this brings a little bit of hope this morning. I mean, come on, that, that ought to bring some hope inside of our hearts to realize we're not a victim of whatever we've had happen last year, that this is a brand new year. Now, let me just close this up, have the worship team come back up. There's a story in the Bible that you guys are familiar with. Most of you guys probably are familiar with this. Jesus is going towards the cross, the week of the cross, but first he's got to make this triumphant entry. He's going to come in in this glorious way, only it turns out it's on the colt, it's on this little donkey, and they're putting the palm branches out. You guys know the story. 
But first, he's got to get a colt. And so he tells his disciples, he says, go into town. You're going to see this little colt tied up. I want you to take it and, uh, and just, you know, if anybody asks you about it, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. I want you to understand the way my brain works. Jesus just asked them to steal something. I don't know. That's just the way my brain works. It all works out in the end because they go and they say, we're going to take this. And somebody says, hey, what are you going with that? And it says, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. Go on. I simply want to leave you with this word today. The Lord has need of you in 2018. The Lord has need of you. You're not to sit on the sidelines. You're, you're in full-time ministry. God has you right where he wants you. And if you're not there, then you can step into it by faith. You're not a victim of your circumstance. You're not a victim of your surroundings. If it's God's will, it's possible. If it's God's will, it's possible. And so as we go into 2018, would you guys stand up with me as we just close this out in a time of, of reflection and prayer? And I want to have our ministry teams come forward at this time. We're going to be available to pray with you during this next song. Because as we go into 2018, I want us just to simply ask God. Just ask God what he wants to create through you this year. What does he want to create in your family, in your heart? this year through you. And then we're gonna just simply open up our hearts and, and, and let ourselves be a blank slate that God can paint on. We're just an open canvas. Can you just close your eyes for just a moment and just, just do business with God right there and just, just see if God speaks anything to you right now. You may already know what that is. You've been afraid to step into it. You've been afraid to step further because of the ripple effect that that might cause. God wants you to walk in complete freedom. Complete freedom. Quiet any fear. Let the love of God flood your heart right now. And it'll cast out any fear. If you're here today and you need, you're saying, I, I, I want to go into 2018 different. I know that I've got some things I need to bust off my life. I've got some, I need somebody to pray with me today. Would you come forward right at this time? I just want you to be bold and brave. If you're not going to do it in church, you're, you're not doing it everywhere, but anywhere. But right now, just right now, just, just make your way down front right now. You say, that's me. Just come down, line up across the front. We're going to believe for a breakthrough right now as we're passing into 2018, that this is going to be a different season for you. This is going to be a season of new seeds. This is going to be a season of, of growing up and letting the fear of God trump all these other fears. Listen, if you felt fear for something right now and you've tried to battle it, you've tried to battle it, you know what? You may need to come and lay that at Jesus' feet. <laughs> you need to just drop it off right now. If that's you, come forward right now during this song. Line up. We will pray for you. We believe that God has an encounter right now and he wants to set you free. Let's go ahead. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.